you know, when, when you have somebody new on your on your team, as a leader, it's really important you go and do, I call, I call this hypercare, you know, especially the first 90 days. It's really important because that's when people, you know, it's like, it's like when you raise your kids between the age of zero and three, mm -hmm. this is where that bonding happens. Well, in a company, that bonding happens between in, in those first 90 days. So as a leader, go meet people, have a coffee. Hey, Paul, where do you live? You know, uh, do you have a family? Do you have kids? Mm. How far do you have to commute to come to work? Uh, what do you do on your spare time? You know, so then, oh, you have a favorite football team. What's your favorite football team? Mm. Oh, you're not into football. You like baseball. Okay, tell me about <laughs> baseball. Have you ever played? Yeah. You know, because all of that will give me a way to engage with you on a regular basis. Knowing mm. all that will make it a lot easier for us to have a relationship. Are you looking for a place to continue to grow and develop, especially in your leadership? How about connecting with others who feel the same way? Hi, I'm Paul Ferrandi, AKA Incredible Paul, and I've got great news for you. The Incredible Paul community is for people who desire to become the most incredible versions of themselves. The community is for individuals who are goal-driven and action-oriented. This community is dedicated to leadership and personal growth, especially in going deeper in your career, starting a business, or developing a business. Join me in becoming the most incredible version of yourself. Go to incredipal.org slash community to join the waitlist and sign up. I-N-C-R-E-D-I-Paul dot org slash community. Join the waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. Turn this up. Turn this up. Your professional development is one of the keys to your career success. When you combine your desire to grow with actionable steps, your journey to success becomes an incredible reality. Hi, I'm Paul Faranbi, and welcome to Incredible Paul Leadership, where we learn how to become the most incredible versions of ourselves by learning from each other. Today, I have the honor of having Valerie Cockrell on the show. She's a keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and former Disney cast member. She is passionate about leadership and has shared her expertise around the world. So that was just a little bit about you, Valerie. But how about you introduce yourself the way you would do it? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me. <clears throat> I really, I'm really excited about uh, meeting you and um, sharing yeah. some of our insights, you know, uh, with you. Mm. Um, I am, as I'm sure you've picked up already, and you can tell from my <laughs> accent, I was born and raised in France mm. and lived there for the first 16 years of my life. Mm. And I was a very curious child, and I knew there was a whole big world out there that I wanted yeah. to go and, and see and visit. And when I was 16, I realized, you know, if I want to do this, I better learn English because this is the way mm. around the world. So I moved to London and I became an au pair and I worked with a family, babysat children uh, and stayed in London for about a year and a half until my English was good enough. And then I went back to France and, and finished my studies. Oh, the wow. reason why I share this is because that was a decisive moment for me in mm. the sense that it allowed me, my English being you know, pretty good by then, uh, allowed mm. me to get a job with Disney. My very first job with Disney was in 1987, mm. and I was a um, kind of an ambassador for the French Pavilion at Epcot in Orlando. So I got to be uh, in Orlando for a year. I had a one-year visa. And after that, I went back to France, not thinking in the least that this was ever going to be a career. 
And I wow. went back to France and about two, three years later, I got a call from Disney and they said, you know, <laughs> we will open a park in Paris in about a year and a half. And we would like to hire you because not only you speak English, but you understand uh, the Disney culture and American wow. culture. And it literally, Paul, I promise you, it took me literally three seconds. And I said, yep, I'm, yep <laughs> where, where do I sign? I'm ready to go. And I did. No and I, I was part of the opening team of Disney in Paris. And wow. I worked there for five years, met my Prince Charming, my husband, Dan, <laughs> uh, who was on the opening task force. Um, mm. He's American and had been assigned to opening the parking lot at Disney yeah. Paris. And then both of us relocated to the U.S. in 97. I worked mm. for Walt Disney World for a while. Then I stopped mm. working. And my background with Disney, by the way, is in retail. I manage uh, okay. multiple uh, retail locations and, and then assortments for Disney. Uh, for wow. Epcot, for the Disney Cruise Line. And eventually I stopped mm. working. We have three children, took care of my kids for a little bit mm. and went back to Disney working for the Disney Institute. So I don't mm. know if you're familiar with Disney Institute, but it is the oh. outside training arm of the Disney organization. Oh, so a lot of companies okay. out there want to learn about Disney, how they manage to deliver this great customer service considering yes. the volume you know, of, yes. of business that they do. So we train outside organization on the Disney's approach to leadership and Disney's approach wow. to customer service. So I did a bit of that in Florida, in California, in Canada also, because I could do it wow. in French. And then uh, in 2018, Dan and I decided to leave Disney. And ever mm -hmm. since we have been working together, uh, we have our own company. We consult with, as you mentioned earlier, with comp with um individual and organization uh, in the US and abroad. And it's yeah. been a lot of fun. We we really enjoy what we're doing now. So. Wow, voila, that is a as we say in French. <laughs> voila, yeah. yeah, that is a phenomenal story. And so I know un peu de Francais, je, cla ah. je prends une classe de Francais en lycée. Wow, on va yeah. parler en Français alors. <laughs> oui, oui, un peu. So for those who don't speak French, and my pronunciation may or may not be good enough, I just said I speak a little bit of French. I took some French in high school. So. You're doing fantastic. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. A little bit out of practice trying to get back to it. But that is phenomenal, your story, being a part of creating Disneyland Paris from the very beginning. And... So talk me through that a little bit more because I know you mentioned you was it the experience you had in Orlando for about a year and then you said like two to three years later they just called you was there any expectation of work it seemed like there was but was there any expectation of working for Disney after you were there for a year not at all not at all I I actually went back to France and worked for a bank I was an investment uh, advisor. Mm. And for some reason, in the back of my mind, I thought I was going to be, I wanted to work on the stock exchange and I wanted to be oh, a stockbroker. Okay. Wow. And this is how, you know, I quickly realized that the banking world was just, I wasn't a right fit for them. And mm. when Disney called, that the Disney culture, the environment in which you work um, was just a much better fit for me. It fitted my mm. personality, it fitted the, the kind of environment I enjoyed and I thrived in. Have you enjoyed listening to the Incredible Paul podcast? Are you looking for a way to support it? Or maybe you just want some swag? Check out the Incredible Paul store today 
We have shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, hats, stickers, and so much more. Go to incredipal.org, I-N-C-R-E-D-I-P-A-L.org, and click on the store link. Or go to the link in my socials bio and click on the Incredipal shop. Looking forward to seeing your Incredipal look. And I, in retrospect now, looking back at my career, you know, often people wonder, uh, they talk about values in organizations. Mm -hmm. And I never thought at the time, I could not articulate it this way, thinking my values really align with Disney and, and the Disney culture align with my personality. Mm -hmm. And none of that worked on the in the banking world for me you know my my values yeah. did not align my the environment was did not fit my personality mm -hmm. and now i can see that i mean it was just so obvious but when i was in my 20s it was not something i thought about and it's something i talk to my kids a lot is you know make sure you work for an organization where you are going to be comfortable when you can be yourself because mm. when you can be yourself you're authentic you're genuine you're comfortable and you don't have to pretend every day and you're going to be more successful and a lot happier don't worry about the money and the benefits <laughs> and all of that you know i mean you do worry about it to some extent yeah. but yeah. more importantly pay attention to this because if you are comfortable there you'll be able to succeed and you'll you'll do really great and you'll be happy uh, so this is something i've learned you know kind of the hard way because i spent a couple of years working for a bank and suddenly going like no that's not my my cup of tea so yeah disney came the timing was just perfect and disney in paris was a huge project they recruited twelve thousand people wow. uh, some of them were americans All that once? Uh, twelve thousand. Oh yeah, yes. We we opened with you know one park, one shopping destination, and six hotels and a golf course. So that was twelve thousand wow. people uh, from all over Europe. Some came from the U.S. So wow. it was a big melting pot of different cultures. Mm -hmm. People who had like me who had the Disney culture already were knowledgeable mm -hmm. about it, and people who were coming from you know all kinds of of organization, retail organization, hospitality organization, a little bit of all over the place. So it was a terrific project to work on. It was uh, really interesting. Yeah, it really sounds like it from the, the different cultures coming together. And even what you mentioned as far as you were in the banking space, maybe thought you wanted to go to New York Stock Exchange, realized that was not for you as far as the culture. It is, I, I like that you mentioned that as far as being focused on the culture and how you fit into an organization instead of being focused on just the money. Because if you work your way high enough in any organization or the money is going to come, but if you try and get, if you focus on the money, like you mentioned, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy work coming to work every day. If you, if the culture is not a good fit for you. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you spend a whole bunch of time working. So you want to be, somewhere where you can be yourself, you know, you you mm -hmm. don't want to pretend. And, and this all goes down, you know, th there may be a little difference with the values. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, if you slightly misalign with the values, you can work your way there. But yeah. if it's really not in like, for me, the banking world was just not in my blood, it wasn't in my <laughs> DNA. And mm -hmm. I was just way too nice. And too, you know, too much empathy, I was all about serving. And, and oh, so being, banking you know, is not so I, about serving? No, not at all. I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest mm. with you. But anyway, 
it's not you know there's nothing wrong with working in a bank by the way it's just it uh, just wasn't cut out for that fair enough there's different professional opportunities that some people really enjoy and it, it's their fit but for you you didn't want to work for a bank or new york stock exchange you wanted to work for the most wonderful place on earth yeah, exactly. The happiest place on earth. And, the and, happiest uh, place on and, earth. And it was, I, I spent 16 years working for Disney, both in France and in the US. Mm. And it was a terrific experience. I learned a lot. And it's a great environment. It's a fun environment. People are there. It's the biggest entertainment company in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. who doesn't want some of that pixie dust, right? <laughs> that magical pixie dust. Like you mentioned that you, you worked with the 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 was it you said the Disney Institution is that what you mentioned that I, I work with Disney Institute yes Disney and Institute. and retail first the first nine years of my career mm -hmm. were actually the first eleven years of my career were with the uh, retail and then the last five six years were with Disney Institute so. okay so with the Disney Institute were the the people that you worked with was it primarily other people in the entertainment industry or like really companies all abroad are trying to instill that culture no you know that's a great question um here's the the thing disney is a very sex successful organization mm -hmm. and what we've come to realize is that what makes disney successful has nothing to do with entertainment mm. you know there's no in fact my husband and i now we we teach a workshop to a lot of organization and individual, and we call it the method to the magic. And that's the hint to Disney. Yeah. But we always start the workshop by saying, we have bad news for you. There is no magic, Ooh. none whatsoever. Wow. What makes a company like Disney successful is all about processes, clarity, consistency, attention to detail, and taking care of people because people, mm. your employees, your frontline deliver your bottom line. And this is where mm. the rubber meets the road. This is where the magic happens. And if you can put all these processes in place, train people properly, put, you know, make sure you put the right people in the right job, support them, encourage them and, and things, you know, the magic will happen. But it, but there's a lot of hard work behind the scene. It's not, it's not a coincidence. You know, you don't just take fun, nice, happy people, throw them in the theme park, <laughs> and tell them go make people happy, and that's it. You know, um, yeah. it, it is not that easy. But mm. it's simple. You know, it is simple. It's about treating people right, uh, your customers and your employees, mm -hmm. uh, because, like I said, at the end of the day, the people who are going to deliver that magic are your frontline employees. So you have mm -hmm. to treat them right and make sure they want to do what they do, not because they have to, but because it's the right thing to do and they enjoy doing it. And if you can do that in an organization, it doesn't matter if you're in entertainment, if you're in the pharmaceutical world, if you're a hospital, if you're a shipping company, accounting firms, realtors, anybody can do that. And it's, it's interesting because uh, when my husband and I, we left Disney and we started working with different organizations, we expected that the vast majority of our business would be in the hospitality world. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's about maybe 10, 15% of what we do. 10 or 15%? Uh, yeah. You know, the, the companies we interact with are, like I said, shipping companies and um, 
uh, dentist offices and wow. uh, uh, you know just uh, accounting firms and hospitals and you know this kind of place because the principles apply to any organization it doesn't mm. matter if it's a big organization or a small one it doesn't matter your industry and more importantly we tell them it you don't need to have deep pockets to do what disney does of course mm. disney has you know being the biggest entertainment company in the world it is, you know, a lot of people look at us, well, it's easy for Disney to do all this. But most of what they do that really is significant and makes a difference for the guest or for the employee really doesn't cost that much money. You know, making mm -hmm. sure that you're respectful with people, that you treat them right, you treat them as individual, that you are knowledgeable about your job and you share that knowledge with your customers and your, and your guests so that they have the best experience possible doesn't matter if you're Disney or if you're a, a yogurt, uh, yogurt shop somewhere around yeah. the, the corner or you sell tennis mm -hmm. shoes. Or, I don't know. It doesn't matter what you, you know, it's all about uh, really developing people and putting them in the right position so they can really deliver this great service or this great product to your clients. And when the clients have a great experience or a great product, I tell you what, they come back to you, mm. they advertise you, they talk about you positively, yeah. and there's mm -hmm. nothing better than word of mouth, and it's free. You know, word of mouth yeah. is free, it yeah. doesn't word cost you anything. Yeah. So it's easy to, to spend, you know, millions of dollars in marketing to bring people to your organization your first time, but how do you bring them back again mm. and again and again? And it's all about delivering a great experience. And that's where the magic happens. That's the, the pixie dust that you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Absolutely. That is interesting. I would not have guessed that a lot of the organizations that come to Disney Institute or the lot of organizations that you and your husband, Dan, work with are not in the hospitality or entertainment yeah. space. I would have think, well, Disney is the biggest there. You came from Disney that those would be the people gravitating to you. Yeah. But it makes... Yeah. It definitely makes sense that when you talked about the, the processes and really the, the servant leadership about putting your people first, because there's a difference between managing your people and leading your people. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard, and you may have heard it said too as well, that managers do the right things, but leaders do things right. So yes. as far as how you, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Now, I think I think one of the the most basic thing is if you talk to a leader and, it, and, and a great leader will tell you, my team members do not work for me. I work for them. Mm. My role is to make sure that they have the resources, the skills, the talent, the the headcount needed to mm. do the you know to be successful my role is to move roadblocks for them my role is to anticipate opportunities or problems or challenges my role is to you know point them in the right direction mm -hmm. that's what i do i am here to work for them so they can be successful at what they do and great leaders will will tell you that you know it's mm -hmm. and because if you're a manager for me being a manager and, and by the way, I need to say that when I first became a manager, I was in my 20s. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I was probably one of the worst manager because I thought, <laughs> you know, I thought that being a leader, actually, I was probably a good manager, but a really bad leader because mm -hmm. I thought it was about giving 
you know, expe setting expectations and then making mm -hmm. sure what I was saying was being done the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. And this is where, to your point, the difference between being a manager and a leader, a manager will set expectation and check that it's being done. But once you turn around and you're not there, what do your employees, what do your team members do? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a leader and you really develop people and show them the way, tell them in which direction they need to go and explain to them why, why mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Are you wondering what's next? Has everything you tried failed? Or maybe you just feel stuck? Then coaching might be right for you. The coaching relationship is a relationship totally centered on you. If you're tired of running on the hamster wheel of life and want to start to see results, reach out to Incredipal for help. So what are you waiting for? Go to incredipal.org slash coaching, I-N-C-R-E-D-I-P-A-U-L dot org slash coaching, or at I am Incredipal on all my socials. Or you can click the link in the bio for your free coaching session. I want to make sure you become the most incredible version of yourself. And make sure that they have everything they need in order to do this. Then you can walk away and they're going to continue to do the right thing because mm -hmm. they understand why it's, it's, you know, it's worth doing and why it is important that they do it. And you, you also, as a leader, will make sure that everybody in your organization understand that they are important and they contribute yes. as much as you do as a leader. Mm -hmm. I always say an organization is like a puzzle and everybody mm -hmm. in the organization holds a piece of the puzzle. It doesn't matter if the vice president or if you're the person who makes the popcorn on Main Street uh, in the middle of Magic Kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, everybody holds a piece of the puzzle. Now, if you've ever done a puzzle and you're missing <laughs> a piece, mm -hmm. it's really frustrating, number one. Yes. But it's yes. also glaring. That's all you see. It's that mm -hmm. hole in the middle of this beautiful mm -hmm. image, right? Well, it's the same with experience. When one piece of the puzzle is missing, it doesn't matter if that, that piece is from, you know, the vice president, the person who works in HR, the person who's behind the scene working in IT, or the person who cooks the food or orders the supply. It doesn't matter. The problem is there and it's still glaring. So if you can convey to your team members that they all have their pieces valuable just mm -hmm. as anybody else and they know that let me tell you when people know that they are relevant that they make a difference and that they're part of a team they will get engaged in the organization they'll be motivated to do the right thing and they will deliver for the organization and that that's the difference between managing and leading you know your piece is valuable that that's really good for just understanding that what you mentioned no matter you're at the top of the organization or you're the person who is selling concessions on the the park floor that if something is not right it is glaring i i love the yeah. way that you put that that your piece is valuable yeah and you know the same thing goes with the guests or with your clients, mm -hmm. you know, your clients matter and you, you know, they're not mm -hmm. just one out of 50,000 people, you know, mm -hmm. what can you do to customize? What can I do to customize my product or my service to Paul and his family? Mm -hmm. So that Paul walks away thinking, you know what? She cares about me. She delivered, mm -hmm. she listened to me. She paid attention. She made sure I had the right product for my need. 
and and you know that that is how you get loyalty from your customers so as much as you do that for as a leader as much as you do that for your employee the organization needs to do that and the employees need to do that for every single guest or mm. customer of the organization you don't want to just be one in a million you want to be you know treated as a as a person as an important person you know it's like i always say it's like when you walk in a restaurant somebody can say hey good evening sir you know how many in your parties yeah. whatever where would you like to sit or somebody will say good evening mr farambi you know welcome mm. back to our restaurant yes. when you're being recognized mm. you being you know you you're a person somebody who matters now, mm -hmm. now you you're going back to that restaurant again and again because just that little moment makes a big difference. You're not just anybody. You belong there. Mm -hmm. You are welcome there. You appreciated there, and you know you you need to convey that to your employees. You need to convey that to your customers. That personalization that you just talked about, that is so good. As far as just adding the person's name to understand that they are not just a part of the whole group that that individual person matters yeah. so phenomenal i can see why it's disney a, is the most magical place on earth yeah and you know it's it doesn't cost anything i tell you um not too long ago i did a speech a keynote speak um uh, a keynote presentation in brazil mm. and we had we always uh dan and i we always leave about 15 20 minutes at the end for q a's and we love mm. doing Q and A's because that's mm -hmm. where the you know people get to really be engaged. And um, somebody asked me, they said, "Well, you know, you talk about what companies like Disney do in terms of customer service, but you know, it takes resources, it takes money." And <laughs> I asked that gentleman, "I said, what kind of business are you in?" And they, they had um, apparel stores, a couple of mm -hmm. stores of apparel. And I said, "Well, here's the thing: when somebody, I said, how do most people pay in your stores?" He said, with credit card. I said, okay, so when they give you the credit card and they pay, when you return the credit card to them, you said, thank you, Mrs. Cockrell. Thank you mm. for your purchase. Oh, thank you, Valerie. You know, I don't know if you're on the mm -hmm. first, depending on yeah, the culture, yeah. sometimes people on, yeah. I know in France, they want the last name, you know, they use yeah. their last name, but in Brazil, they may be using, you know, thank you, Paul. I appreciate your purchase. Mm -hmm. Now you're not just a client, you're Paul. And you're like, mm -hmm. huh, they recognize me. How yes. much does that cost? Zero. Nothing. It doesn't cost anything. You know, it's just that little touch that makes a big difference. Now, how do you deliver that though? You need to train people, make sure they understand. So you get them to experience that. How does it feel when you know, people recognize you by your name. So here's where you work your way along the chain as a leader, right? If I come in the store in the morning and I have six or seven team members working there, if I say, good morning, everybody, or if I say, good morning, Paul, good morning, Valerie, mm -hmm. how are you doing, Dan? You know, and I acknowledge everybody, that's a big difference. You're mm -hmm. not just a team member, you're Paul, and I know yeah. your name, and that's important. You know, again, doesn't cost anything. It's just attention, you know, making sure you respect people and uh, you treat them as individual. And now they know they matter. Mm. I can see why you say that it's simple, but not necessarily easy to do as far no, as no, no. saying good morning, everyone is easy, but being intentional about acknowledging people, even asking how people's days are. I know 
a lot of times people might not even say more they'll just say hello and they just keep moving but to take the time to acknowledge them ask them how their day is and actually listen to it uh, that's that's huge and this this you know behind employees there are people people who have mm -hmm. families who have doubts who have hopes who have dreams who have ambitions find out about all this they have challenges they have mm. you know when, when you have somebody new on your on your team as a leader it's really important you go and do i call i call this hyper care you know especially the first 90 days it's really important because that's when people you know it's like it's like when you raise your kids between the age and zero and three mm -hmm. this is where that bonding happens well in a company that bonding happens between in in those first 90 days so as a leader, go meet people, have a coffee. Hey, Paul, where do you live? You know, uh, do you have a family? Do you have kids? Mm. How far do you have to commute to come to work? Uh, what do you do on your spare time? You know, so then, oh, you have a favorite football team. What's your favorite football team? Mm. Oh, you're not into football. You like baseball. Okay, tell me about <laughs> baseball. Have you ever played? Yeah. You know, because all of that will give me a way to engage with you on a regular basis knowing mm. all that will make it a lot easier for us to have a relationship where we we build trust or an environment of trust and the problem is when you talk about building relationships in an organization there's no kpi there's no key performance indicator attached mm -hmm. to it so what do we do we tend to leave that on the sideline hey one mm. of these days i will get to know paul but meanwhile, days go by and yes. Paul feels like he's just a number in the team. He's not just, mm. you know, I, I don't uh, acknowledge him. I don't know him. And, and that's where people start drifting away from the organization. And by the way, people don't leave organization. They leave people. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, if, you know, I'm your leader and I don't take the time and invest time into getting to know you to show that I care and I want to know about you because you're valuable to my organization, but you're important to us and you bring skills and talent and a beautiful smile. And I really want to keep that in my organization. Mm -hmm. I need to invest in this, but because it's not directly connected with the bottom line of the organization, a lot of leaders will leave that to the side. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not deliberate, but it's just, oh, there's a million other things, mm -hmm. you know, uh, asking for my attention right now. So, and one of these days I'll talk to Paul. Well, mm -hmm. when the day comes, maybe Paul will have gone to find his happiness somewhere else, where somewhere where the, he will be respected and valued and, and uh, recognized for what he contributes. So. It, it is uh, it's something that leaders have to be very disciplined about is really creating bonding with people right away and creating that great relationship. That is really good. The intentionality behind that to to build that relationship. And I like what you mentioned with the, the hyper care, like the, the first 90 days to make sure that you're getting to know them on the individual basis. So there's a quote I love by John Maxwell that he says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that mm -hmm. really embodies what you just said as far as you're not going to be able to inspire or cast vision or achieve any of your KPIs if you don't take the initial investment to pour into your people and understand them, their struggles, their successes, what truly drives them. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely.
So I know when you talk. Oh, were you about to say something? No, I'm. I'm thinking about this. This the bonding thing. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wrote a book called "Manage Like a Mother," and I think you know the approach. Much of what we're talking about right now. Uh, I've learned over the course of my career. Let me tell you, I've, it did not come to me overnight. All of that I happened to learn uh, over, you know, 20 some years and, and 16 of those years working for Disney. And it, it seems to me that when I started reflecting back on raising our three kids, because at times I would, I, I took some time off uh, during my career to take care of the children. Mm -hmm. And when I went, when it was time for me to go back to work, I remember like, and like most women, I had doubts, you know, am mm. I, am I still relevant? Do I still have what it takes to be a good leader? And then suddenly I had this epiphany and realized, you know, being a great leader is really not that much different from being a, a mother, uh, because you have to train people much like you train your kids, how to walk, mm -hmm. how to talk, how to eat properly, how to have good manners. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to set expectation, which you do with your kids also. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a vision and mothers have a vision. They always think long term, you know, about, okay, what, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen to their kids, their education, mm -hmm. how they, you know, they're going to, are they going to be able to go to college and then mm -hmm. what kind of job they're going to get. I think as a, once you're a mom, you're a mom your entire life, and then you never stop worrying about what's next, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and then you, you have to um, deal with conflict because when you have more than one kid, there's always a significant <laughs> amount of nagging going on, right? Mm -hmm. um, when the kids are at the back of the car kind of fighting and you have to yes. be the referee, uh, the you rivalry. have to deal with crisis. Um, you have to deal with crisis when one kid gets hurt and has to be driven to the emergency room at you know 8 p.m. when the family is expecting dinner and now everybody the whole dynamic falls apart. Um, you have to to continue to develop people much like you do with your kids. You have to support them, encourage them, much like you support and encourage your kids. You have to give them feedback. You know, mm. feedback. Moms give feedback every day. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't they don't say, you know, they don't wait for the end of the year to say, hey, Paul, you did not behave really this year. So there's not going to be any present for you for Christmas. <laughs> no, they they tell you every day when yeah, you, me you know, do. when you mess up, they they mm -hmm. don't wait um, mm -hmm. and they still love you unconditionally. Right. Yeah. Because they understand that giving feedback is about making you the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. making sure that Paul becomes the best adult version of him of mm -hmm. himself. And leaders need to do this. Leaders need yes. to encourage, coach and and uh, really guide their team members so that they can can become the best team member version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh and that's, you know, that that's what it's all about. So suddenly I realized that every single competencies that are required of a great leader are the same that mothers deliver. And by the way, I, I have to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, implying that uh, fathers are not involved in raising their kids. Um, but I think when it comes to, you know, our generation, most of us, the vast majority of us have been uh, not exclusively, but primarily raised by their mothers, right? Typically, it's the mother who stays home and raises the kids. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that men are not involved 
in in fact, you know, the trend is changing for the better. I think more and more men are more and more involved in educating their kids and mm -hmm. raising their kids, which is wonderful. But the reason why sometimes people ask me, they say, why did you call the book Manage Like a Mother? I say, well, number one, because the vast majority of us are primarily raised by mothers, not exclusively by mothers, or a motherly figure, by the way. Yes. You know, sometimes it's a grandmother, sometimes it's an adoptive mother. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, of scenarios out there. But the vast majority of us have been raised uh, primarily by a motherly figure. And, and whether you are uh, a woman or a man, you can reflect back and remember when you were a kid and there were times where maybe your mom was being really supportive and encouraging and she was giving you responsibilities and empowering you and you felt like a million dollar, right? Mm -hmm. And then there were days where maybe your mom was holding you accountable for mm -hmm. something that she had not set the expectations or maybe she was asking you to do something that she would not demonstrate herself. Mm -hmm. um, and it happens, you know, moms mm -hmm. are not perfect. So remember how it felt at that point it probably felt very frustrating mm -hmm. it felt unfair so all this learning you know think about it bottle it up and mm -hmm. and think about it when you are a leader and you are there and you interact with people and remember what it feels like when expectations are not set properly or mm -hmm. clearly Rem uh, remember what it feels like when you know your your mother or your father would not role model the 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 things that they're asking you to do yeah. remember how it felt when your mom or dad were really you know encouraging you you playing soccer somewhere and your parents are on the sideline and cheering <laughs> for you and everything and you feel yes. like a million dollars yes. remember all of that remember when your parents give you coach you and give you feedback and they still love mm. you so all of that you can apply to your leadership approach and i think it's such a simple way to remember or to be reminded of what it takes to be a good leader. That is so good. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually what I was going to ask you about next. That you started talking about your book, Manage Like a Mother. So I have it here. I was telling you before we started recording, took a lot of notes down. I really love the comparison, direct comparison you would take between being a mother and stuff that you face as mothering your children and not only that but even with your parents as well and how that directly related to leadership it is really it's phenomenal as well as i want to talk about the accountability and feedback portion because i know you you mentioned that a couple of times and i there was a really uh, i thought it was uh, pretty funny because i have it in front of me. i took a note on that for chapter nine the feedback and accountability that the story about the teacher telling you that your son was not doing well, that he might fail and mm -hmm. was trying to see if he could, uh, well, actually you tell the story better. So I'll let you tell the story. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, we, we got a call. Uh, our oldest son, Julian was in fifth grade mm -hmm. and it was a Friday night. Uh, and we got a call from his teacher. He was supposed to turn in a paper on that Friday. Mm -hmm. And she said, Valerie, um, you know, if he turns it in, she, we didn't talk directly, but she left a message. She said, if Julian turns in his homework first thing Monday morning, I will not fail him. I will, I will you know, give him, I'll take 10 or 15% off his grade, but I will, I will not um, uh, give him an F. 
-hmm. And on the Monday morning, I called her and I said, give him an F. And she's like, what? And I said, yes. I said, look, it is far more important for me that he learns about accountability then, then maybe I'll have a, you know, his GPS is going to take a, um, a, a hit, but I think it, he needs to learn the importance of when there's a deadline, you got to meet the deadline. Mm -hmm. And if we keep cutting some, cutting him some slack like this and letting him get away with it, he will never learn that. And for me, he needs to learn this. And mm -hmm. she was taken aback because the kids <laughs> were in a school where I, I guess she had dealt with some parents who had questioned uh, some instances and, and cases mm -hmm. where she had failed a student mm -hmm. and she was afraid of parents pushing back. And I'm like, I told her, I said, you will never get a pushback from me. For me, long-term, and this is where vision, you know, parents, much yeah. like leaders need to think ahead mm -hmm. and, and look at the future. And like, if he doesn't learn about accountability now, it's not going to serve him well when he becomes a professional when he you know as he grows up when he goes to university or anything so just give him the f and uh and she did and he was not happy but we i just told julian i said you know it is what it is you had the deadline it was friday fridays on Mon monday morning and uh let me tell you from then on he was a lot better at meeting the deadlines mm. that whole intentionality about that vision you saw to make sure that this did become a habit of, I missed a deadline, someone saved me, or my mom saved me, my teacher saved me. Not a lot of parents would do that. What Was there a moment that you, that that, that you decided that that was gonna be something that you were gonna be intentional about, about the accountability for you, for your children? It, it kind of came, I, I don't think I thought it through. I mean, for okay. me, it was, the idea of, you know how they talk about growth mindsets, the mm -hmm. idea that if you have a growth mindset, you learn from your failures. And mm -hmm. I, I believe in this. Yeah. I think we learn the most when we fail and we mm -hmm. learn the most when things are hard. Mm. And, and in the case of Julian, for that particular case, you know, he failed and learned, I thought, what was a very important lesson. Mm -hmm. And I can think for myself, I learned the most when I was put in a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I was telling you earlier when I was 16, I moved to London to learn mm -hmm. English. I graduated very young from high school. And that's mm -hmm. why I had about a year and a half in front of me before, you know, going to university. Mm. And I decided to go to London. And I'm, when I tell you the story, you may think like, wow, she was brave. And you know, that was kind of a big step <laughs> for her to, yeah. to take, because I had five words of English. I mean, literally, really, going to London, I could say, Oh, I could say my name is Valérie. I'm French, and that was it. <laughs> wow! And you and moved to London with just that. Wow! Yeah, I got. I, I applied at an agency um, that was hiring au pair, mm. and I was matched with a family. And I remember talking my parents into this. My mother was very supportive. My dad was okay with it. And I was acting all grown up and like <laughs> so sure and confident. And I remember my parents took me to a train station. I didn't fly to London from France. I took the train from Lyon, my hometown, to yeah. Northern France. And then you would take the hovercraft across the, the channel. Okay. And my parents brought me to a train station. And I acted up all brave and confident. And as soon as the train left the station, I was crying, going like, oh, what am man. I doing? You know. Mm. 
and and it was really hard but let me tell you after a month i could a month or two i could function in english mm -hmm. after three months i could have a conversation after six months i was uh, almost fluent uh, wow. and i went to school in the morning so i worked with a single mom who had a three-year-old and she was in the show business and she worked in the evenings primarily in recording studios so she needed somebody to be home with her three-year-old and that's what i did and so that gave me time to go to school in the morning so i went mm -hmm. to school to learn english and within six months i ended up staying a year and a half but it was the, probably one of the hardest thing i did and the the one of the things that gave me the most and really set my entire life on a totally different course. Because if I had not learned how to speak English, I would not have gotten the job with Disney. I would mm. not have gotten hired for the opening of Disney in Paris. I would not have met my husband and I probably wow. wouldn't be living in Boulder, Colorado now and, <laughs> and, uh, and having all this fun I'm having. So uh, sometimes doing hard things, you know, when you, it, it's risky, but it pays off. And even if it doesn't pay off, you learn something. You you walk away from it with something you learn about yourself, about your ability to be resilient, and and then you you do better next time. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you learn. The reframing. Exactly. Absolutely. Reframing, yep. and I I can't own that was not me. That's uh, a book title from John Maxwell that really talks about reframing failure, yeah. because. Failure can be something that can be detrimental to you, that can cause you to slip back and not want to do anything. Or, like you mentioned, you can use that as a stepping stone to move forward and do it better the next time. Yeah, fail, fail again, fail better. Is that the, I know there's a there's a quote that is uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but sometimes it says fail, try. Try and fail, fail, fail again, fail better until okay. the day where you can actually do it. And that's yeah. the way it goes. Yeah. The other, I, I like also how you highlighted that that one decision you made that I'm sure your parents in the moment were not so sure <laughs> to allow you to move to a foreign country with only knowing five words, but how you just mm -hmm. lined it up that because of that decision, that is the reason why you're doing all you, you do right now, from even from opening up Disneyland Paris to the to being in Disney for almost 20 years, and now what you do with consulting with your husband. So I do want you to, to talk more. I know you kind of talked a little bit about one of the keynotes you gave in Brazil about what's more the stuff you do consulting on in your your business that you're currently doing. Well, we do. You know, we, um, we it first started with Dan. My husband started being a keynote speaker, and I st I said, you know, I I don't think I ever want to do that. But we started yeah. doing workshops together, okay. and we did workshops. Sometimes it's an open enrollment. We mm -hmm. do that primarily in Brazil or foreign countries. Um, and then sometimes it's one company that asks us to come and train people for half a day or a full day. Mm -hmm. So, and we tend to be very tactical because Dan has his back. Dan worked at the the Magic Kingdom. He was the vice president of of the Magic Kingdom, and and also Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studio before that. 
So he has a lot of operational background. Mm -hmm. So he has the tactical things, the tools uh, that he has used over the course of his career working for Disney. And then we have the philosophy of leadership also, mm -hmm. the approach. So combining the two uh, was really something that made uh, the workshops that we do very appealing to a lot of organizations. Because mm. you hear a lot of great keynote speakers out there. Uh, you hear a lot of people who have the, the theory, they have the, the approach, the philosophy mm -hmm. of what you need to do. But a lot of people struggle to connect the dots. And they say, okay, this was very inspiring, but what do I do now? Mm -hmm. how, how can I apply this? Mm -hmm. So Dan and I, we always focus on providing people tools, things that they can go tomorrow to their organization and really apply the, the philosophy and make it, you know, make it reality mm -hmm. with some very specific tools. And, and it's worked really well for us. And in some countries like Brazil, I think what's really appealing is having, having a husband and wife and a man and a woman on stage. Mm. Because, you know, we know in the US, we, we still have a lot of ground to cover when it mm -hmm. comes to helping women in the workforce. You know, we have gender parity when it comes mm -hmm. to the workforce, but we only have about 32% of leadership positions that are held mm -hmm. by women uh, across all industries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously we need to, to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. But when you go to countries like Brazil, oh, the gap is even greater. Yeah. And I have found that when the two of us get on stage in Brazil, you should see after the speech, women come up and and they're just like thank you thank you for saying mm. this thank you for advocating for women because they they up and coming in the workforce in brazil and there are some brilliant super talented women out there and all they need is the opportunity they just need to be able to put their foot on the first rung of the ladder mm -hmm. and then they'll be they will soar but the mm -hmm. problem is they're not always given that opportunity mm -hmm. so it's important that people like me and any woman who can goes out there and helps them. You know, it's about amplifying uh, what women can do and contribute to the workplace. So I'm thinking that, you know, the book may also help in that way because mm -hmm. it's managed like a mother. It's also showing that mothers instinctively have those great skills that they apply when they raise their kids. So why not? leverage that because i think in in a way they are uniquely prepared to become leaders mm -hmm. because of that emotional intelligence that really yes. comes to them so naturally mm -hmm. again i'm general generalizing here i'm yes. not saying this is 100 percent of the case but most of the time women show by necessity i think women have a different approach to leadership mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying it is better or worse than men, but it's it can complement what men do, and I've and I've experienced that working mm -hmm. with my husband. Be, and unfortunately, being married to each other for over thirty years, we are very candid with each other. Yeah. And what's really funny is sometimes we go, let's say we go in a meeting and we meet a prospective client. Mm -hmm. And we come out of the meeting with a totally different point of view. My <laughs> husband's going to be super confident and enthusiastic. And he's get, oh yeah, this is very promising. I think this is going to be great. And I'm like, nope, that was not my impression at all. And I'm very skeptical. I don't think anything's going to come out of this. And that was the same meeting with the same client. Wow. So 
how do we get you know such a different perspective mm-hmm. again i'm not saying he's right or i'm wrong what i'm saying is having our two perspective help us uh helps us having a more balanced approach and i think we are a lot smarter together so my message to you know the men in your audience or, or all the men that are listening to us when we do keynotes or, or workshop is like why wouldn't you want to leverage that that talent that you know an um, um, instinctive emotional intelligence that women have and bring that mm-hmm. to you know have that in your toolbox so you can be a better organization and you can learn from each other you know yeah the way you mention it the the complementing of the the first perspectives and personalities that is so crucial to success in any organization i know uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion is really big now. And I know we focus a lot on as far as race and ethnicity, but what sometimes can be missed is the gender differences as far as between men and women. And we still, like you mentioned, we still have a ways to go in corporate America as far as the amount of women in leadership or even in C-suite. So I think what you are doing with with Dan, with your consulting, and with this book is so crucial because I don't know if it was in this book or when I heard you from um, Jody Mayberry's podcast when he interviewed you, but I, what you said something that stuck to me and what I want to be more intentional about going forward about oftentimes that men can be looked at for potential, but the woman has to have the experience and oftentimes mm-hmm women historically have not been given opportunities to lead. And so it's really important that what you, the work you're doing with highlighting the leadership qualities that are innate to motherhood and not letting the seemingly lack of experience keep women from entering and really breaking into that space so they can continue to ascend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've transition if you remember in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. leadership was about somebody giving orders and everybody else having to execute the orders mm-hmm. that was you know it was very authoritative it was uh, you know very much a dictatorship <laughs> and then yeah. over time we've realized you know uh, this is not the way to go because it doesn't buy you any loyalty from mm-hmm. your employees doesn't get you the results the consistent result that you need. So now we've changed to a different kind of leadership, mm-hmm. which is a the servant leadership mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier, which requires a lot of emotional intelligence. And mm-hmm. I think as women, you know, have this talent, this innate talent, again, this is something that we, we are slowly gravitating towards, not fast enough uh, for my taste and, and certainly mm-hmm. not fast enough for all the women out there who feel that they're not they're being overlooked mm-hmm. because they don't have the experience and it's a self uh, uh you know you know that we always a lot of organizations recruit based on experience mm-hmm. well as a leader who has the most experience in leadership they're men because mm-hmm. there's a vast majority of men that mm-hmm. hold leadership position so already in your pool of candidates of potential candidates you have fewer women that you have men so that's why the system is rigged against women yeah and that's why i think the only way to change this is to start recruiting based on skills instead of uh only experience now Mm -hmm. of course you're going to look a little bit of experience but you know 
if a woman has the skills, then she should be given that opportunity to yes. go and shine and she's going to bring this emotional intelligence mm -hmm. that that is so valuable to an organization today because when you have that emotional intelligence this is how you can practice servant leadership mm -hmm. and you get better results in the end so um and and this applies by the way you know i know you were talking about diversity in general and across the board it's not just gender it's you know ethnicity background mm -hmm. um cultural background mm -hmm. it's about age uh, different generations yes, that's uh, important even different personalities mm -hmm. uh you know when you're in an organization i tell you something which is i don't think enough people pay attention to you know we have in the world you have extroverts and introvert people <laughs> Introverts are not necessarily shy people, mm -mm. but they need to usually isolate themselves to regroup, to mm -hmm. process, to internalize Recharge. things before they can they can formulate an idea and, and they can give their opinion and their perspective. However, in a lot of corporate America, you have a meeting and you have all these people sitting around the table. Who's going to be talking? The extroverts. Mm -hmm. So the extroverts will dominate the conversation. Often they will hijack the decision-making process, and then you know, and and then a, a decision may be made. The introvert never got a chance to mm -hmm. give their point of view. So this is where a leader needs to be very purposeful, because mm -hmm. if you know that some people on your team are introverts, you need to make sure that you engage with them. You give them an opportunity to speak up in the meeting, or maybe you check with them after the meeting and say, "Hey, mm -hmm. Paul." I saw you were, you know, pretty quiet during the meeting. However, I'm really interested in hearing your point of view. So, you know, if you're an introvert, now you have a chance one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. to explain, you know, what, what you're thinking. Um, so there's so many, you know, there's all of that needs to be taken into consideration. And I think today the world is really complicated. It's really, things change super fast. Mm -hmm. Technology, globalization, competition, climate change, you know, everything comes mm -hmm. at you fast. As a leader, you need to make important decisions. The only way you can make those decisions is by having a whole bunch of tools in your toolbox. Mm. And when I say your toolbox, it's not your personal toolbox, it's the toolbox of your team. Mm -hmm. So this is where you need to have people from different background, ethnicity, culture, gender, generation, because everybody has brings a, a different piece to the puzzle, right? And and that's the only way you're going to be able to keep your head above water and keep up with the changes by including people, not only having a diverse team, but including them in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you can have a diverse team and everybody's in a corner representing, you know, whomever, whatever group, yeah. whatever minority group. Mm -hmm. But what's the point if you're not going to ask their opinion and involve yes. them in the conversation? So, you know, doing that, asking questions, involving them in the decision-making process, that's the only way today that you can keep up. And when we do workshop, I tell you, sometimes we have organizations that come to some of our workshop and usually they sit at round tables of eight. And I tell people, I say, and, and if they come, sometimes you have five, six, seven, eight people from, you know, one organization, they always sit together. <laughs> and I always say, you know what? look around your organization if you all look the same you have a problem mm -hmm. and literally you see people looking around their table and you have and they all look the same same age mm -hmm. group same gender same background sometimes even same training we did work with a company once 
um, and I, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but they had nine different departments. And the leader uh, contacted us and said, you know, we really have a problem with um, people are working in silos. They're all very efficient in their own little world, but they're mm -hmm. not collaborating. And when we went there, and I'm, I'm certified with Myers-Briggs, so we did oh. a Myers-Briggs yeah, uh, uh, assessment before yeah. we went there. And then we talked to them. They all were same gender, same age group, same qualification. They were all engineers. And, <laughs> and when I looked at their assessment, the Myers-Briggs um, assessment, they all fell within three or four of the, you know, you get a four-letter yeah. um, uh, personality type. And they all had within four different, you know, uh, out of 16, they were within four different personality wow. types. That's it. And we told the leader and we said, well, how did you end up with this? He said, well, I recruited, you know, one person and then I really liked that person. So I went back to the same pool to and, and he mm -hmm. had kept hiring from the same pool, which gave him people with the exact same skills, the same perspective. So that was a really eye opening moment to be able to highlight that mm -hmm. for them. And so they saw what they were missing and all the tools that were missing in their toolbox. So. Yeah, being really intentional with the diversity, like you mentioned, that is insane that they were had four, only four different of the different personalities yeah. out of the 16 within the team. And it's funny because actually my, my background is in engineering, so I can guess what theirs most likely was. <laughs> but So that's very but interesting. But it's, it's, really, it's, it's really, you know, until you go through the exercise, some people and and it's it's an easy mistake to make because mm -hmm. I tell you what we all gravitate uh, typically towards people who are like us mm -hmm. because it's comfortable and it's safe and it's predictable and if you put me in in charge of recruiting I will probably recruit middle-aged women with a French accent you know if I'm <laughs> if I'm that purposeful. I'm, yeah. I'm going to yeah. gravitate towards this because we have a lot in common. So yes. it's like, oh, it's comfortable. But then, then that's where you're missing. You're missing out on so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the chapter I talk about diversity in my book, I call it um, "What a Wonderful World," yeah. because the world is it's just incredible. The 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 range of talent and skills and and interesting things out there is just endless. And I think if you're not interested in learning about others, then then you're really missing out on a lot in life. I think there is so much to be learned out there. So much so that, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know much. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really, it really never ends. But uh, I'm, I'm really, and, and to me, it's something I would, that's in my DNA. Like I said, when I was a child, I wanted to travel the world. I mm -hmm. was always curious about things that were different mm -hmm. and that's what led me to London and to learn English and you know and, and do what I do now so I think um, I know you have a lot of young people that you talk to and you engage with yeah. and if I had a recommendation for them it would be that it would be go out there and see the world there's mm -hmm. just so much out there to learn from and in the process you'll come across something that you enjoy doing that you're good at and you'll be successful and you'll you'll enjoy it and that's what happened to me. And I hope, you know, that people will will try and see what's out there and, and be successful. Absolutely. 
that's something I, I tell them often is it's really easy to try and figure out your whole world when you're in college, choosing majors, all of that. But yes, choose a major, pick something, but that doesn't mean you have to stick with the whole time. There's stuff that come up that you're more interested in that you can try and do. If you had told me even two years ago that I would be podcasting, I would have been saying, what would I be talking about? Like, who would want to listen? Why would I be doing this? It's like, what are you saying? So just being intentional about opening yourself up to the possibilities is so key. So we could go on and on, but we're about out of time. But I do want to make sure if there's anything that you haven't talked about yet that you really want to make sure the listeners hear that you share it. Well, I, to me, I think I, I, I said it in those last comments I made. It's all about going out there and getting experience and, and doing different things and seeing you're going to take a little bit from all your experience and some of them you're going to think, well, that wasn't really valuable. And then one day, five years, 10 years later, you're like, oh, I know this. I've <laughs> done this. I've practiced it. I've had this experience. I'll give you an example. Our daughter worked at Disney one summer. They used to have a program from, for young, for teenagers to work there and they would be mulching and weeding every day from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And Margot, our daughter, did that for two months. Um, and, you know, it's, this is Florida, 95 degree weather, you know, 90% uh, humidity, miserable. And she would come back you know some nights just totally tired and everything mm -hmm. and she said mom why am i doing this and this is not fun and i'm like you know what margo one day you're going to apply for a job and somebody on your resume will look at this and say if you're 17 year old 17 years old and you are able to get up every morning at 5 a.m so you can be at work at 6 a.m mm. and do mulching and weeding mm you know, in the middle of the Florida heat mm -hmm. uh, in July and August, it says something about you. Mm -hmm. It says that you're reliable, mm -hmm. you are hardworking, you're not afraid of sticking your hands in the in the dirt and, you know. <laughs> Getting your and, hands dirty, yeah. And sure enough, mm -hmm. I tell you, um, uh, when she came out of university, she was interviewing for a job and somebody said, you work at Disney? What What is that horticulture experience you had? <laughs> And she talked about it. She said, well, it was actually pretty miserable. But but the person who interviewed her and she ended up getting the job was thoroughly impressed. Wow. Because who wants to go out there, get up at 5 a.m. and mulch and weed in the <laughs> middle of Florida when you're 17 years old? You know, no. you want to be at the beach in Florida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it paid off. So I would say to young people, just go and get some experience. And you may it may not be glamorous right now it may not feel like you're doing your dream job or you're learning much but trust me you will get a nugget of uh, value there that will come real handy later on that's really important that even if it's a job that you don't really like you can still learn a lot from it like you mentioned as far as the resilience to keep going the perseverance just the tenacity that you can learn when you don't quit at the first signs of hardship. Yeah. And that's really critical. But it has been incredible having you on the podcast, on the show. You are an amazing leader with so much experience, a wealth of knowledge. 
I want to make sure that people know how to to find you, either your your websites or socials. So I'll I'll make sure it's in the show notes. And for those who are watching the podcast, they'll see it come across the screen. But if you can you can share how they can stay connected with you. Well, I tell you what, uh, people can find me at Valerie at carcrawlconsulting.com. So mm -hmm. all our information is there. And uh, my book is available um Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Target, uh, Kindle. And I tell you what, I, I, I told you earlier before we, <laughs> we did this podcast that I don't have big expectations for the book. My goal here in terms of sales, mm -hmm. my goal is to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. My goal is to pass on some, you know, insights that I have learned over the course of my career. And today I'm thinking I grew up with an, um, my 91, uh, 91 year old mother still lives in France. And I grew up listening to her saying, I wish I was yeah. 20 and I knew what I know now. Mm. And I am now thinking exactly like her. I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. So I'm thinking if I can impart a little bit of what I've learned to some young you know, students, young professionals or leaders who are maybe struggling or, or need a little bit of help, then so be it. I would be happy to do that. So don't hesitate to reach out, Valerie at carcrawlconsulting.com. And I love engaging with people, so don't hesitate. Absolutely. I'll make sure that's in the, the show notes and already came across the screen if you're watching on YouTube. But for everyone listening, I hope you got something from this conversation I had with Valerie from the very beginning that she mentioned that at 16 years old, only knew five words of English. I still can't get over that. <laughs> five words of English. You took the chance. You, you moved to London. From there, that took you on the journey to doing an internship or a an opportunity in Florida. And then you went back, you worked in banking. From banking, two, three years later, Disney came calling, had the opportunity with 12,000 other people. But the fact that they called you two, three years later to start up Disneyland Paris, worked at Disneyland for a number of years, worked at the Disney Institute, worked to so many different organizations as far as teaching the Disney way of culture, servant leadership, customer experience, and creating the magic that is Disney in other organizations as well. I don't think anyone does as, as good as Disney, but you definitely help them to get a little bit better. It is, and what you're doing now as far as consulting and i love what you said starting the conversation which i i really hope the book does well I, I think it will because i haven't seen anything like it and it's a conversation that needs to be had um I, obviously i'm a man so i don't understand I, from outside looking in and from my wife i could try to understand what it's like to be a woman in leadership and in corporate america but for people to have the emotional intelligence to really take a step back, look at the organization. Does everyone look like me? Do I have diverse thought? And am I including that diverse thought in what I'm saying? I'm excited for this, that I hope everyone else that's listening or watching is just as excited as this conversation I just had. Well, thank you, Paul. That was a pleasure. Loved uh, chatting with you. And uh, as they said, Disney, they lived happily ever after. So yes, there we go. They lived happily ever <laughs> after and stay incredible. 
Be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. And be incredible. Incredible. Incredible.